Broadcasting from the heartland of America. In the Hoosier Media Network Studios. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is another great weekend here on The Voice of Reason, broadcasting from coast to coast all over the place. Hey, it's wonderful to have you along for the ride. And boy, have you started to panic? Have you put yourself in your bunker yet? Have you prepared for the end of the world, the shutdown? They said that the end of the world would happen anywhere between last weekend, which obviously didn't happen, to October 4th. And now we're officially there, now that the government is going to shut itself down. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, wait. Oh. Okay, well, maybe it's not going to yet. So, hey, welcome into the program. It's The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here, out of Wichita, Kansas, across the nation. Your patriot on the prairie, and hope you enjoy the new imaging. We have some new intros. We have some new rejoins. We have some new flashy bells and whistles on this program, and I'm so excited to enjoy those and so much more to come. Big show lined up. Obviously, the big news is the government shutdown. Will we see the shutdown happen or not. Bottom of this hour, we have Steve Bonta. He is the senior editor for The New American, and he'll be talking about one of the other economic disasters in this nation, that is unions causing disasters in the auto industry with the ongoing UAW strike. We've talked a lot about that on the program, and we'll get the latest on what the deeper meaning is behind that one. But I don't want to waste any time because, uh, man, well, it sounds like we may avert a government shutdown. We're hours away, and for those that may pick up the show at a later time, the show broadcasts late on Saturday afternoon, So, and we're really the last national live weekend conservative talk radio program there is out there. So we have the latest information before anybody else. <laughs> I'm kind of proud of that. So let's get into our weekend review, shall we? It's your weekend review. All right. So as of just a couple hours ago, the House of Representatives has officially passed a stopgap funding bill that would fund the government for 45 days going into the middle of November. And it passed with an overwhelming majority, 335 to 91. Now, that being said, Kevin McCarthy is praising it, even though he's been under fire for the last couple of days. He's praising it as a conservative alternative and doing something and actually being aggressive and changing things and being the guy that's going to get the job done. Just moments ago on the House floor. We passed by overwhelming numbers the ability to keep government open for the next six weeks. We've got to understand why we are here. The Senate has produced not one appropriation bill through the floor. The House, more than 70% of discretionary spending has now passed. I do not believe our troops need to be punished for us not getting the work done. So I ask Congress, we'll stay in session. The next two weeks, continue to work to get this done. But you cannot look the men and women in our military in the eye and ask them why they are not going to be able to pay their bills because the Senate hasn't done their work. Look, I know a lot of you always ask me all the negative questions. I'm sure every bet you had was government was going to shut down. I don't know how many times you're going to count us out. But if there's one thing you should start understanding, not just that I'll never give up, But I'm a type of conservative that wants to get things done. Now, okay, that was Kevin McCarthy just a little bit ago after the vote in the House of Representatives. The bill is officially sent to the Senate. We'll see whether they support it, and more than likely they will. Now, the big question that's on everybody's mind is what did the final bill actually look like for the stopgap funding bill? The Senate passed one on Friday this week, and the House of Representatives did not pass that one, and Kevin McCarthy was getting a little nervous. 
And while Mr. Conservative, so he calls himself, says that they have now passed their bill, what is the details of this bill? Well, the details of this bill is really caving on absolutely everything just to say that we've done something. It is what conservatives, along with Kevin McCarthy, had said in the past that we would not do, which is do a continuing resolution or stopgap funding bill at 2023 funding levels. Now, according to Republicans, they said that they would go back to a 2019 level, maybe a 2022 level, but they would not do a 2023 level because of how much money that actually was. That's what this bill does. It funds everything is normal that we've seen throughout 2023 with an additional $16 billion for federal disaster assistance, which is what every bit of money that was requested by the Biden administration. And the only thing that Republicans, quote unquote, got out of this was the lack of funding for sending more money to Ukraine. That's the only thing. So uh, while Kevin McCarthy may pat himself on the back for doing something, the vast majority of those 91 votes that did not vote for this was conservative Republicans because the moderate Republicans and the Democrats got on board. Now, before you start getting angry, I want to back this up just a little bit so I can get you even more angry, it sounds like probably. Kevin McCarthy, just a few days ago, when the vote was coming up on Friday, said that we needed to support that one that had passed out of the Senate, which was essentially the same thing with Ukrainian funding, but it also had some type of immigration policy in it. They said that it was money to go to help fund the wall or fund at least some resources at the southern border. And Kevin McCarthy had made the comment that Republicans are going to have to atone for the votes that they put on their record going into election season next year, and that if they didn't vote for that bill because he was getting a little panicky, that he was a, that the conservatives were essentially supporting open border policy and supporting Joe Biden, which in my mind means that Joe, is that true? I mean, obviously that's not true. No, it's not. Okay. So essentially what that means is that Kevin McCarthy has given up on the conservatives, given up on the truth caucus and given up on actually trying to cut funding in any way, shape or form. He created his bill back in what March or April for the short-term funding bill that was going to be to raise the debt ceiling where it was actually some substantial cuts in funding, actually trying to use money from the COVID-19 relief funding to cover some of the bills that we would pay just to get until this point at the end of the fiscal year, at the end of September, which is this weekend. And it failed miserably. And instead of standing for it and saying, this is what we did, now the ball's in your court, Senate, either pass it or let the government shut down and it's all your fault with the downgraded credit score that we're going to have for the nation. Uh, Now, he caved then. Democrats know he's easy and going to be caving very easily, and that's what we're seeing now because he's not standing with conservatives because in my mind, and I could be totally off base here, not quite sure, but I'm pretty sure that being conservative doesn't mean spending the same level as what we've done before with one piece of aha, we got it, and saying, hey, we cut out Ukrainian funding. And he did, however, say that we're going to put that in a separate bill on its own thereafter the stopgap funding bill goes through. Kevin McCarthy is in no way, shape, or form a conservative, and he has betrayed the Republican movement. Now, I warn all the Republicans out there, and there are a lot of Republicans and elected officials that obviously listen to this program. There are a lot of you, I'm warning you, if you voted yes for this bill, then you probably will have a very angry mob of conservatives going into the 2024 election. Because I'm not quite sure how. Maybe you can fill me in. You can email me at who'syourmedianetwork at gmail.com. I'm not quite sure how. Funding government at the exact same level as before with additional $16 billion in federal disaster assistance, which, okay, 
I can kind of see that for disaster. We obviously had a fire down in Maui. Not going to get into the details of it, but we have that. We're in hurricane season. We're going into tornado season across the middle middle of the country. I get it, but we had an opportunity. And in fact, we even had a partial bill that was stopped by Kevin McCarthy and the moderate Republicans that would have cut funding. But they're so terribly damn scared of shutting down the government that they caved again. They caved, they squabbled, they ran, they tucked their tails, and they ran away. Like usual, like Republicans do oh so often. Again, and I'm shocked at myself for being shocked at this happening all over again. Normally, we're like, yeah, this is the way the Republicans operate. But I'm shocked because the moderate Republicans jumped on board with the Democrats. Almost unison votes in Democrat on the Democrat side in the House. The 91 Republicans, according to, let me see if I can find the uh, thing again, the apps, the uh, official vote on this one, where it was um, not beneficial to us at all. I got too many tabs open here. Oh, here we go. Okay. Uh, yeah, 91 votes to the no, and the Republicans, vast majority of those are the ones that actually shut. There was one Democrat. Out of 91, there was one Democrat that voted against the bill. 209 Democrats, 126 Republicans voting in the yay with 90 Republicans voting no. The Republicans caved again. We did not want current level funding. And I always try to put myself in their shoes. And if I were Speaker of the House, if I were Kevin McCarthy right now and going through this discussion, and we actually had huevos, you know what those are? You can look them up in Spanish. If I actually had a pair of huevos as Kevin McCarthy, here's what would have happened. We had worked with the Republican caucus that has the vast majority, or at least not vast majority, but at least the majority in the Senate or in the House of Representatives, and would have passed a bill that said, fine, we're going to do a continuing resolution at 2019 levels, no funding for Ukraine, some funding for the resources at the border, and by funding, I don't mean tag-alongs with the uh, uh, amnesty for illegal immigrants that are in here and have been in here since the Biden administration took office, which was strings attached to the final bill that came out of the Senate just a couple of days ago. Oh, yes, that was included. The media didn't tell you that one, did they? There would have been funding for federal disaster relief, funding for the wall. But outside of that, it would have been cuts across the board and say we didn't get our job done in a timely manner. We didn't get it done when the federal budget was due at September 30th of 2023. And therefore, we need to all be frozen with our paychecks and we will work in the dark because the government will shut down or we can pass a bill that will have a five to 10 percent cut on every single agency, every single department, every single funding project at the federal level until we actually get a proper spending budget. And oh, by the way, this federal budget that's coming up afterwards will also have a 5 to 10% cut. And for every week that we don't actually get a federal budget with the 12 appropriations done, for every week that, that doesn't happen, that funding gets cut another 1%. That's it. Take it or leave it. That's the end of the story. No compromise, no negotiation. What are you going to do, Democrats? And if you don't vote for it, then guess what? Your funding continues to go down. Andrew, that seems harsh. Well, we have to be a little bit tough because right now we have to be the adults and the parents in the conversation. Because right now, Democrats, the elites, the establishment, whatever you want to call them, the middle of the rotors, they are the ones that are the greedy, grubby teenagers, let's put that as an example, who don't listen to the authorita, that don't listen to the parents and just do whatever the hell they want to do. And that means spend as much money as they possibly can without any understanding of fiscal responsibility. And as the parents, we have to say no. 
And every time they throw a temper tantrum after we say no, then you increase the punishment. You ever done that as a kid or a grand, as a parent or grandparent? I don't want to. All right, you're going to be grounded. Oh, no, you can't make me. All right, you're going to be grounded for two days. No, I don't want to. All right, you're going to be grounded for an entire week. You want to keep going? That's how we do this. This is not conservative. So while Kevin McCarthy calls himself Mr. Conservative, I'm curious on what conservatism actually is to him. Because funding things at the exact same level while saying that we're being fiscally responsible as conservatives is an oxymoron. You cannot do that. And that's exactly what this bill does. Now, that being said, this bill is being sent to the Senate. Mitch McConnell earlier today had advocated for the no on the bill that they were voting on because they wanted bipartisan work out of the House, which technically I guess they got. And more than likely, they will pass this bill, although. There are some Democrats that are livid and angry that there will not be any Ukrainian funding in this uh, stopgap funding bill as well, just for the 45 days. Apparently, we are so addicted to sending money to Ukraine that they don't want to pass a bill uh, for a 45-day stint unless it actually has funding for Ukraine because we can't not pass and actually uh, fund them for a 45 days. Cut yourself off, man. Get yourself cleaned up a little bit. But no, we have to fund Ukraine. So apparently, according to Kevin McCarthy, that bill is going to be secondary after the stopgap funding bill. He just wanted to make sure the government didn't shut down because of how terrible that could have potentially been for the nation if we shut down the government, which means like departments wouldn't be open. Oh, mon Dieu. And you would think that there's an opportunity for conservative wins there, which we'll talk about when we come back as well. Lots more to get to here for the Voice Reasons Weekend Edition. Stay right here. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It's America's political therapist. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. The Voice of Reason, your weekend edition as we're covering this. The only way you're going to get this information live throughout the weekend as it's pretty wild to see what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. I'm trying to therify myself, it sounds like, but let's therify you, shall we? I'm your political therapist here on The Voice of Reason. We have the House of Representatives that is... Trying to be conservative, and yet we do we, we call conservatism doing the same thing and then saying that we're being conservative and fiscally responsible by not shutting down the government. I'm, I, I'm not sure, but I think there's a discrepancy on what we're trying to consider as conservative. As Kevin McCarthy was out earlier today, just a little bit ago, actually, uh, praising him not shutting down the government because he's Mr. Conservative to get things done. I'm not quite sure what conservatism actually means to him. It's easy to be a conservative that wants to do nothing. But I believe. Hold America on. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Nothing. Now, that goes in line with what we heard a week ago with the leading up to the potential shutdown of the government, where conservatives, hardliners, and this is the new term the media is using for the conservatives, is the hardliners that are refusing to compromise, refusing to work across the aisle, refusing to just give in and do what the regular Republicans do, which is spend more money than the Democrats do on their own level. The hardliner conservatives, they, according to Kevin McCarthy, are the do-nothing guys. They just want to complain and just vote against everything. When he was supposed to be beholden to them to try and bring financial and fiscal responsibility back. But, okay, let's start that one over, shall we? Because, again, the hardliners are do-nothingers. 
It's easy to be a conservative that wants to do nothing. But I believe America wants to find the conservative that can make government work efficiently, effectively, and accountable. And that's exactly what we're doing in our appropriations process. No, it's not. In the wasteful spending, in the wokeism, most importantly, secure our border. Our president, who never once talked to any of us during this challenge of shutting the, of the government shutting down, he watches night after night how thousands of people cross this border illegally because of his policies. The largest number ever in the last month. For 50 years, he has been elected office. He has been to more dinners with Hunter Biden's business partners than he has gone to the border. Things has got to change. Our border has to be secure. We've got to end the wasteful spending to, to end the inflation that he has created. And that's exactly what we'll do and exactly what we are doing when we put our commitment to America. No, no, that's not. When you're spending the exact same amount. See, again, this is, I tell you, what, I've never seen it. i got to give him credit because he is the ultimate politician, man. Pat yourself on the back, Kevin McCarthy, the ultimate politician. How are you cleaning up wasteful spending if you just voted to vote and to spend the exact same amount than what you did the rest of the year? I get in here. It's a continuing resolution. It's a continuing resolution of a budget that is completely out of control. And the only way to stop that would be, this is wild. Brace yourself here. That's to spend less money. Wow. There is an opportunity here that Republicans apparently just don't grasp and aren't smart enough to recognize or understand. And that is, if you shut down the government... And agency departments aren't working. Department of Energy, the Department of Housing and Department of Rural Communities, Department of whatever, Environmental Protection Agency, whatever flavor ABC, Alphabet Soup Department agency that you want to talk about. If they're not open and they can't work and then people start suffering because of it, which is, by the way, their decision to cut that one because they get to decide what's going to run and what's not going to run. If that's the case, wouldn't that be a prime example for conservatives to say, hey, if you don't want this to happen, let's bring these agencies down to the statewide levels where they can actually function at a more efficient level, more local instead of running through the federal government. But conservatives and Republicans and including Kevin McCarthy apparently aren't smart enough to grasp that and seize the opportunity. What do I say every day on the radio? It's time to carpe diem all over this place, baby. And right now, (laughs) we're not doing that. No, we're kind of going back the opposite direction. So I don't know what flavor of conservatism you say you have, but it's not conservative. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Truth, reason, and common sense. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason, wonderful to have you along for the ride. By the way, our newsletter is coming out at the beginning of the week on Monday. I don't know, although if the government shuts down, maybe it won't get to you because the internet and email providers may not be... ready and ready to work or actually functioning because you never know the government could be shut down and therefore we just can't function we can't go to work we can't flush the toilets we can't take a shower we can't send an email we can't make phone calls it'll all be done because the government's not there to help us but our newsletter will be coming out on monday if possible so make sure to sign up go to who's your reason.com h-o-o-s-e-r 
reason.com. And as soon as you go to there, you'll see the pop up say, do you want to become a Hoosier holic? You're like, yes, I would like to become a Hoosier holic. It's completely free. You don't have to worry about spam. Uh, and you can just get our monthly email. We don't s- send you a whole bunch of them. But uh, I do encourage you to do so because you will get our monthly blog. You'll get some information on the show, get some information on the Hoosier Media Network, along with some of the other really cool projects that we're doing, other partners that we're working on with the show, along with any other great partners and affiliate radio stations that we have coming on, too, because we have some really cool stuff coming up, and I don't want you to miss any of it. So go to the website, HoosierReason.com, and check it out and become the next Hoosier Holic. That being said, we'll get back to the votes from the House of Representatives here in just a minute. The uh, the audio from Kevin McCarthy really shows the lunacy. I mean, we're talking insane, uh, typical establishment, middle of the road, deep state, whatever you want to call them, politician, really trying to twist this thing into a pretzel because he was successful at averting, and I say that in air quotes for our radio listeners, a government shutdown, although it could still potentially happen if the Senate doesn't vote on this bill uh, by the end of the day. Let's shift gears a little bit, though, because there is another issue that's potentially affecting the economy pretty dramatically right now with the ongoing UAW strike as we go to the Hoosier Media Network hotlines. Let's go to the Hoosier Media Hotline. Yes, indeed. And excited to have on the program with us here. He's the senior editor for the New American magazine, which you can find online at thenewamerican.com. Happy to have on here Steve Bonta. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm fine today. Nice and cool today up here in Wisconsin. Oh, you get the nice Wisconsin weather. See, I'm in Kansas, and it's 95 degrees today. That's not acceptable for going into October. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's global warming for you. That's global warming. Thanks, AOC. Appreciate that very much. Yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, this is madness. We are going on, what, now a week, week and a half, almost two weeks for this UAW strike because they want $50 an hour, almost $47 an hour. They want their 40% bump in pay, along with only having to work 32 hours a week. Uh, if that's their demands, do you really f- see us coming to an agreement anytime soon? Oh, I suppose in the end, the big three are going to have to negotiate something. They can't operate without uh, without workers. But yeah, I mean, I mean, from the beginning, my take on this, and, and I think this this aligns with the take of you know Donald Trump and a lot of other people, you know, who would be viscerally sympathetic with some of what's going on, is that probably you know there are issues, but they're striking for the wrong reasons. You know, I mean, and they're, they're at least I mean, their leadership is ascribing the alleged inequities and the problems, you know, the inflation and other issues to, you know, wicked corporate masters, whereas it's really the result of the policies of the Biden administration, including but not limited to, of course, the inflation, the shutting down of of much of the, the, you know, the the petroleum and natural gas industry, the, the, you know, these perverse subsidies that they've been sending, hundreds of millions of dollars to the you know, the automotive industry and also to the manufacturers of car batteries to encourage them to move away from traditional, you know, fuel powered vehicles to you know, gas powered vehicles to, um, you know, to, to electric and hybrid and all the rest of this stuff. With the goal being that by 2030, uh, most gas cars will be off the road. I mean, it's just, it's just extraordinary the lengths that they're going to, to, to comply with, you know, the mandates of the global eco loonies. And, I think a lot of the rank and file auto workers do understand this, but the leadership that they're beholden to, Sean Fain and the rest, of course, are you know staunch Democrats and um, and support basically the, the you know the socialist uh, agenda 
characterized most of the labor, you know, organized labor for over a century. So this is no yeah. different. Explain to me how this makes sense, Steve, as you just mentioned with this push for the EVs. We have workers that are upset that they're not getting paid enough for the work that they're doing, which, I mean, I have to just contest that at all because unions, I'm no fan of unions. People, listeners of my show know that, that I despise unions a lot because of what they're doing to ruin the economy and the supply-demand markets. But nonetheless, let's go down this road for a second. We have workers that feel like they need a near 40% bump in pay, so they're going to use the union that's going to raise their rates, but the unions that they're supporting and they're funding and paying their dues with are supporting Democrats that are advocating for the change to the EV industry that's going to cut the workforce in the auto industry between 30 to 40% if they do go straight EV, which is what they want to do, because it takes less parts to build a new EV vehicle as opposed to one that uses a gas engine. So explain to me how advocating for a union that's supporting Democrats pushing for an EV industry is going to be better for your job when in five years from now you're not going to have a job at all. Yeah, no, I, and I think that that's probably that, that's you know a lot of them probably don't don't don't. I mean, I mean, here's the thing: when you spend a lot of time putting cars together, that's your job. You're not necessarily going to be reading you know treatises on free market economics or the history of you know unions and syndicalism and that kind of thing. But it's absolutely true. I mean, I mean, from a from a strict laissez-faire point of view. I mean, there's nothing wrong with workers getting together and saying, okay, you know, we're going to refuse to work unless you pay us more money. What is wrong with it is when you erect laws that, that, that confer upon such organizations, these unions, these coercive powers to say, well, we're going on strike and it's against the law for you to hire anyone else to replace us. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, so rather than being a free, you know, fair, fair bargaining, you know, which is a normal thing. I mean, you know, people quit their jobs all the time, sometimes quit en masse because they don't like, uh, you know, the conditions they work in, and that's, that's their right, and sometimes, they, you know, they get rehired and so forth. But this, this, this coercive dimension of the unions, coupled with, of course, their consistent advocacy of one political party and one particular subversive cause, which is socialism by any other name, uh, that, 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 that make, makes them so objectionable. You know, whereas, you know, the Biden administration is doing its best to destroy the automotive industry in any traditional sense. But you'll not, you won't hear Sean Fain say that or any yeah. of the leads, you know, the movers and shakers, any of the 11 people that showed up for Biden's visit to, to Detroit the other day, the day before Trump, uh, Trump rolled into town. And, uh, yeah. and you know, credit to Trump and, and several other you know, people in, you know, in Congress who, who rem- have remarked, you know, Republicans, that, uh, yeah, they, I mean, they support the workers and they understand that there, there are issues that need to be dealt with. Obviously, the workers, like everybody else in America, are discovering suddenly that their paycheck isn't going as far as it used to. Inflation is killing everybody. And so, you know, that this naturally does engender legitimate grievances, but they're mis- misascribing the blame because the u- unions are so reflexively pro-Democrat and always have been. Yeah, they always have been. We're talking with Steve Bonta, the executive senior editor for The New American, thenewamerican.com. Go and check it out. Uh, I I loved and I enjoyed, like you said, I enjoyed Trump's speech at in Michigan supporting the workers, not necessarily supporting the unions, and him really laying out the whole EV issue and maybe waking some people up about that. Uh, if they're anti-Trump, I don't know if it's going to make any difference, but at least he did try to talk about the EVs and the auto industry caving to the federal government on going down this road and hurting the American worker, and hopefully that did resonate. But you also mentioned, I, for the first time, it was historic, Steve. Historic, the sitting president of the United States for the first time ever was on the picket line with UAW workers where they're advocating for more pay because 
they can't afford to live on their current wages at near $37, $38 an hour as an average. Doesn't that go against the policies of the administration saying the economy is great when you can't afford to live on almost $40 an hour? I think that there's a little conflict of interest right there, isn't there? That's a very good point. That had not occurred to me, but you make a very, very good point. And, you know, you can't have it both ways. Obviously, Biden would like, well, what portions of uh, uh, glimmerings of sentience remain in that adult brain of his, I guess, you know, Biden would would like to be able to have it both ways, or perhaps he genuinely doesn't comprehend anymore the sort of uh, cognitive dissonance implied by his by his actions and his words. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just I mean, it's all political in bottom line. He's I mean, here's the thing. The next the election next year is going to be won or lost in the Great Lakes states, specifically Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, and um, it's becoming a worry. In Wisconsin, of course, uh, we've gotten rid of the uh, drop boxes, so they won't be able to uh, defraud their way to, uh, to, to say they're going to have to, if they're going to win, win the state, they're going to have to do it at least semi-legitimately this time. I don't know how things stand in Michigan, but, you know, Biden and his people are, are, are you know, very keenly aware of this, that, um, you know, maybe Arizona will figure in, but pretty much the rest of the country is, you know, we all know what, how the way New York and California and Texas and probably Florida are going to vote as well as most of the other. It's this Great Lakes area and specifically, you know, the old, um, you know, the old uh, the, the blue collar working class, you know, the Rust Belt type cities yeah. where the next election is going to be won and lost. That's all this is about. You know, so Biden wants to pose as being the chum of the auto workers. This, of course, is the same guy who, who you know, I think it was well during the campaign. Um, some some auto worker was was one on one with him, and he started you know lecturing him and talking down to him, and really, you know, I, I forget the exact substance of what he said. But he really insulted the guy, and uh, and and this kind of thing. So. You know, I, I think it's well known. I mean, judging by the number of, of signs that said union members for Trump in the in the Trump speech, you know, Biden knows he's got a real problem in Michigan and by extension, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and obviously Ohio. Uh, and this, you know, this this spells electoral doom next year if he can't do something about it. Yeah, well, it does show a little bit of desperation, and that desperation really comes from the fact that Donald Trump did very well in the 2016 election and really 2020, to be fair, when it came to, like you said, the blue-collar workers and a lot of those labor workers that may not go along with the votes of the union itself because they see Donald Trump as that average guy compared to Joe Biden. Got to take a break here. Steve Bond to The New American, thenewamerican.com. We'll continue this conversation as we wrap up our number one here for your weekend edition of The Voice Reason. Lots more to get to. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Where Hoosierholics gather every week, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into it, where the Hoosierholics gather every single week. It's our Hoosierholic meeting, my friends. It's okay. You can admit your obsession and addiction to politics on a daily basis, and we'll break through those, work through them together, you and I. Welcome back into the program, wrapping up hour number one. We're hanging out with Steve Bonta, uh, the executive senior uh, editor for The New American, thenewamerican.com. We're talking about the uh, UAW strikes. How long may these potentially last and what we could see? Now, again, for those that are unfamiliar with what these demands are, they're looking for a 40% increase in pay, which averages out to right around 
almost $50 an hour, like $47, $48 an hour. On top of that, they also want a built-in protection every time inflation goes up. I'm going to say this without laughing. I promise you. They want a built-in protection every time that inflation goes up, they automatically get a raise as well. They also want the two-tiered system between the tenured and the new employees to go away. They want to be paid for the same to walk right in, which I don't know how the senior and tenured uh, workers out there are okay with that because they've been there for 30 years and the new green uh, guy is going to come in and make the exact same amount of pay. I don't know how that encourages people to stick around a whole lot, but they apparently want to fight for that in the UAW protest as well while they demand that the evil, terrible auto industry sticking it to the worker for not paying them enough while they're walking away with their multi-millions of dollars, while the auto industry is also not only battling that, but then also battling the federal government, telling them they have to go pure EV. That's going to rid themselves of the workers of near 30 to 40 percent of the workforce anyways by the end when it's all said and done and it's pure EVs on the streets anyways. So what a mess it is, uh, Steve. How long do you think this could potentially last? I know last time this happened, it lasted, what, like eight weeks or something. But right now, we're already seeing prices of vehicles up because of the chip shortage we saw, the electronic chip shortage from during the COVID-19 pandemic. We had supply chain issues. We have inflation. So prices of vehicles are already up. Now we're not producing as many vehicles, depending on how long this could go. And then even when we do start producing vehicles, because of how much more we may be paying the workers, I sense that new vehicles could be jumping up in price here relatively soon. What do you think? Nope. Do we still have Steve? Maybe. Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. I got you now. There we are. Okay. Yes, I'm. I'm here. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, no. I, I mean, it, it's it's always hard to predict these things. I, I mean, there, there are a couple of factors that may be brought to bear. One is that this strike is not, you know, not not numerically as significant in terms of percentage of workers. It's deliberately, of course, been relatively restricted, but it was. Of course, it's been being carried out across all three big auto, you know, all big three auto manufacturers, which is a historic first. But in terms of the actual numbers of strikers, you know, it doesn't compare to some of the big mega strikes in the past. But, you know, I I mean, Andy, I was surprised to learn that there are only roughly 156,000 total auto workers in the United States now, which is it's just a fraction of what there were in, say, the 1950s or 1960s. And so. For that reason alone, I mean, and the reason, of course, is that large parts of the manufacturing process have been offshored. So, you know, the fact that a lot of these cars are being, you know, parts are being assembled in South Korea and and elsewhere, Mexico, you know, probably blunts the the effect of the strike um, on the companies themselves and perhaps on the in the pricing of some of the auto parts overall. Uh, but yeah. you know, I mean, I, I was thinking when you were when you were talking about all the demands that it may sound extravagant to us mundanes, but actually all they're doing is striking for uh, you know sort of you know, coddled, privileged positions similar to what most government employees enjoy, <laughs> you know, in, in, insulation from the vicissit- normal vicissitudes of the market, um, you know, uh, extremely difficult for anyone to get fired, and all, all this type of thing. So. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're basically behaving like government employees is what they're doing. And, and small wonder, uh, because of you know the, the UAW being a quasi-government organization, the incentive structure within the auto industry is much more similar to a public than to a private concern these days. 
It resembles some sort of public monopoly, which it is. That's why we have big three auto companies and no no yeah. competitors entering in, Tesla being one notable exception. Yeah, that is very true. You're absolutely right. I mean, they want to be treated like federal employees, government employees, which I guess with a labor union like that, they essentially are. And boy, isn't that nice. Must be nice to have those built-in protections. Steve, we appreciate it very much, my friend. We're out of time. we got to get you back on the show again real soon. What do you say? Uh, I love it. Good stuff. All right. Hour number one, all in the books. Hour number two coming up. We have some more information about the ongoing government shutdown debacle at the federal level. Plus, we have some news on the campaign trail and more as we do our week in review right here on The Voice Reason. Lots more coming up for hour number two. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay right here.